Dang, Will, what is that? So my sister got this from San Diego Comic Con for me. I don't know if it was last year, maybe. I have no Definitely idea not this year. where to put it, but it's all of the, it's these <laughs> different Batman action figures. Oh, from, oh, that is cool. What's the bottom right one? The negative Batman, the zebra Batman, the rainbow Batman. But there's a bunch of others listed here, so it's not I've clear s- to me if they just appear in multiple issues, maybe. And those are these are the issues that are in. You're gonna cl- yeah. Are you gonna clear wall space? You need a whole shelf for it. <laughs> It'd be so cool to have like the issues framed next to each quadrant of it. Welcome to Batman in Quarantine, episode 28. We made it through our, uh, you know, the, the the 27 Club, if you will. The Saturn return of a podcast. We've made it past the likes of Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin. The 27 Club. Is that a topical reference? I don't know. Do people still worry about that? Uh, yeah, that's still a thing, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. People still okay. talk about that. Okay, cool. Well, today we're going to be talking about Batman and Robin number two and continuing our very special guests. We have someone I'm incredibly excited to have on the podcast because you offer uh, a very unique perspective on this whole run. Mr. Will Elmer. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So, Will, um, you know, so everyone knows Will is an active member of our weekly book club at the shop. He's a fan of the podcast. He's written us emails. He's somebody I count on seeing every Wednesday at the very least when the comic store is open. And thank goodness we've uh, constructed ways to still keep in touch with all these wonderful people in the quarantine times. But, Will, you have an interesting viewpoint on, I would say, Batman and DC because you are historically a Marvel guy in my head. Yeah, I mean, I would say uh, it's been a few years since I've been coming to the shop and um, most of my weekly polls are Marvel and then Batman. And okay. really since quarantine has started, um, Image as well, because the Image trades have kind of taken over the shelf. Um, so I try to be a little bit more actively DC curious and, and find out more about some of the stuff that people love. But I just can't help but wanted to keep coming back to more more Batman. Um, so I'm excited to talk about this one because this is actually um, the first non-Tom King Batman that I think I, I think I read. I think I picked up this, the, the trade for this Batman and Robin, Batman Reborn. Uh, maybe it was a year, two years ago. I don't know. Time doesn't make any sense right now. Especially not um, right now, yeah before going on uh on vacation to to pick this up and read it based off of i think you had a really nice write-up on this volume um being one of your picks of the month oh yeah 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 Um, so convinced me to just just grab it and and start reading it so not only my first non-tom king batman but it's also the first grant morrison so this is your first grant morrison read of anything correct wow Wow. that is cool (laughs) and to be fair it was also my first grant morrison read of anything um would, would have been this era this time and this particularly to be able to read this volume so um that's fantastic roman do you remember what your first morrison read was you know um 
it was Animal Man, but it actually might have been an issue of because I think didn't he do some a issue a couple issues of uh, Legends of the Dark Knight before yeah. Animal Man? But I but I didn't you know I didn't recognize I didn't know his name then, so I didn't realize I was reading Grant Morrison. Okay, yeah, he did that. There's like five issues of Gothic or something, but I, I don't know the, yeah. the time frame of it. So then. <clears throat> Will, I mean, before we get into the specifics of this issue, how are you liking it? You know, are you going back and looking at some of the older stuff in this run specifically? Are you like, tell me about your journey. Yeah, so I I read this and enjoyed it, you know, whenever I did before and had planned on kind of coming back to it at some point, but just just never really had um, so only about a week or so ago, I got, um, I just decided to dive full in, um, friend of the show, Andrew Carlson convinced me to just go full omnibus and, um, <laughs> get that. So, uh, I got that from you guys last week and only in the last couple of days, I've read the first couple of volumes, um, of that. So it's real, what's really interesting is in comparison to just starting at the beginning, where I think you guys noted on it, but I would echo the same sentiments. Starting at the beginning felt like I really didn't know what I was walking into. It was, there's a lot yeah. going on and, um, you know, it felt like there's a lot of catching up to do. Uh, whereas, you know, this, this volume in general, these first couple of issues here felt very accessible. Um, I think you had told me when I bought it, you said, okay, just so you need to know, Batman is missing, presumed dead. And this is not actually, it's Dick Grayson and, and Damian Wayne as Batman and Robin. And I think that was the only heads up that I had walking into it. Um, and with that knowledge, I felt like I had everything I need to, to just kind of jump in and, uh, and start enjoying these first couple issues. I, I love hearing that because I say things that I think are right, but uh, I also, you know, I'm mostly just hoping that it's true. So I'm glad that this particular volume is one that you can kind of approach without being a, a bat scholar. Well, that was, that was super helpful because I listened to your first couple podcasts after I, after I read the first couple issues, um, just to hear you and, and Justin say like, you're, it's okay to be confused. It's okay to not know what's going on. Um, and that made me feel a lot better about <laughs> being confused and not know what's going on. Let's get into this. Batman and Robin number two. This issue picks up right at the end of the first issue, but it mostly details Dick Grayson's first night as officially being Batman. And it's told in a sort of dual narrative way. The beginning of it is is after this night has gone very poorly and he's just defeated as all can be on these stairs and Alfred comes to console him. And that scene is interspliced by uh, Dick and Damien approaching Gordon, going to beat up the Circus of Strange. That going really poorly, Damien breaking out, deciding to not listen to Dick, takes off, some bad stuff happens. And then ultimately Dick decides to go after a very good pep talk from one Alfred Pennyworth decides to go out and save Damien because, like he says, if we don't, who else is going to? Because he is undeniably a little shit. And that's uh, episode issue two of Batman and Robin. Will, how are you feeling about Damien Wayne? Uh, I think you said he's a little shit. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me a lot of, uh, reading it, it reminded me a lot of... Uh... Obi-Wan Kenobi and little Anakin Skywalker, mm -hmm. just kind of the reluctant uh, mentor who doesn't you know, really know what he's doing and the little adolescent who is just kind of a cocky prick yeah. <laughs> um, to a degree. 
so you know, kind of being my first introduction to Damian Wayne, I know he came. I know he came up in some Tom Tom King stuff, and you know his character traits were were pretty similar. I think uh, even then, I, I, I don't know. I, um, I have mixed feelings about it. I suppose. I think that's a pretty that's a pretty mature stance to have about him. Uh, he, I, I think that he is also, also a lot of my love for him comes from his character arc and his growth through this whole run. But yeah, he's like supremely unlikable while also being kind of adorable at the same time. And, yeah. and then the other like really big question I have for you, Will, is I, I think you know how I feel. And this is a safe space. All opinions are welcome. Don't be ashamed at all if you feel the exact opposite of me. How do you feel about Frank Quitely's art? I don't, I don't hate it. I think I like some others a little bit more. You know, there's, there's, there's moments in it where I, you know, I, I question some of it. Yeah. But like, <laughs> um, you know, art something that art is something that still to me is a little bit ambiguous. So I, I wrestle through what is good art and what is bad art. Like I know when I see bad art, it's clearly bad art, but then like the good art seems a bit more ambiguous and, and objective to, you know, to everybody who's reading it. But if I was to pay, if I was, I would go back to the beginning, um, just the first couple of issues that I've read, and maybe it's a little recency bias because I really love the Immortal Hulk, but yeah. like to the Joe Bennett stuff in the beginning, I thought was, was really great. So to read a couple of it, you know, I think it was just those first two issues maybe where, where Joe Bennett and then it jumped over to. Yeah. Kubert. I, I think I like that a little bit better. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Roman, would you put like, actually I don't think that we talked about it yesterday when we did Batman and Robin issue number one, but is like, is Frank quietly, you know, he's my number one. Is he even like top five for you? Um, he's, he's moved up at first. I didn't like him, um, yeah. but over the, over the years and, and, a lot of that's your influence. I, I would say he's in uh, maybe not the top five, but he'd be like number six okay. and, and, and moving up. <laughs> I do scream awfully loud about my enthusiasm for Frank quietly. And it's probably hard to ignore that to a, a certain like, point. Are the, 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 the doll faced people. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I kind of dig the art cause it's just, they're kind of terrifying to look at and kind of grotesque and, yeah, I think he does a really good job making them um, kind of uncomfortable to look at. But then if I flip over to like, you know, when Damian Wayne is ripping off his Robin patch, there's just something that looks a bit off and disproportionate about like the size of his head. Disproportionate, uh, and his body. I think, is a really apt term to use. Um, yeah. And until like Django was like, until I finally saw a picture of Frank quietly, and then I was like, oh, it makes sense because he is this kind of weird looking buddy again you know i i obviously love it but even down to this first page here i i love this first page framing device for this whole uh issue which is dick grayson just sitting with his cowl off totally defeated on the stairs in the bat bunker and alfred is descending the stairs to just ask like hey what happened but i love the way even dick's cape looks defeated there it looks like a plant that hasn't gotten enough water like it's just dripping down the stairs yeah yeah and and like we were we were talking uh, yesterday's episode i hadn't noticed until you said that i hadn't noticed yeah his cape there it does have that that like flowing effect you know i think we first saw will eisner in the 40s dripping i never i yeah i never realized that uh 
quietly has so much Eisner influence. Yeah, yeah, and and just like old newspaper comics from that from that you know the fifties, sixties, seventies. I guess I forget he's you know in his fifties now. I'm, I'm sure. Um, oh, is he? Wow. Quietly, yeah. I think he and Morrison are both in their fifties. Maybe, maybe, maybe even. Yeah, probably not older, but it's, um, yeah, it's funny. You always think of, at least I do. You always think of artists as you know, whatever celebrities we're talking about as being like the age that you're most familiar with them from, like you know, 15 years ago. <laughs> eternally 30, just like Roman. Yeah. Eternally 36. No, oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like. So we move from that scene to get the flashback and, and what actually happened in the issue, and we Damien and Dick flying onto the rooftop to see Commissioner Gordon after he had lit the the bat signal there. I really loved the way that Gordon talks uh, to them, but also like, you know, the one cop is like, didn't they used to be taller? Like he sounded different. Right. And then Gordon's like different, maybe, but familiar. I really love Gordon's relationship with Batman as a whole throughout all Batman comics, but the way that he doesn't really miss a beat in terms of trusting Batman and respecting him, even though he can clearly tell it's no longer the same Batman. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. And, and the fact that, and yeah, that they, uh, I love the fact that he's not good natured dope, like on the Batman TV series where, you know, Gordon notices right away, you know, he's a trained detective. He notices that, Hey, that's not the same guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On the but TV show, it would have just been like, Yeah. Yeah, the TV show he was just like, oh, sure, Batman, whatever. But he's familiar enough to be able to have that that kind of faith that, okay, this is this is Batman, even yeah. if it's not Batman. And it makes, like, I think I could also see this run just being Dick Grayson as Batman and not having such a key part of it be that sort of imposter syndrome that I can certainly relate to in everything in my life. But, like, dick from being robin to like needing to escape the shadow to becoming nightwing to then become batman again has got to be the ultimate shoes to fill like the ultimate imposter syndrome and i really like that these first two these first three issues really deal with his sense of inadequacy about becoming batman yeah i really like that conversation he was having with alfred about about all of that you know feeling feeling like you know i worked so hard to stop being batman's partner and being getting respect as nightwing and everything and now i'm batman and maybe this was just a horrible idea <laughs> how could i possibly do this how could i think i could do this but it's also like if you can't do it who else possibly could yeah 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 we, we yeah. saw what happened when Azrael did it <laughs> it's uh i like that he's got that struggle but it's not an immediate like oh i can't be batman like doesn't seem like he's quick to try to abandon the idea that I have a responsibility to fill uh, as Batman. I'm curious, you know, having this be one of the earlier Batman runs that you're engaging in, how does it feel to be reading a Dick Grayson Batman story? To not have like a super defined idea of what Batman is supposed to be? Is it like a, a relatively fluid thing for you? Do, do you like the tone? Do you prefer it over a Dick or sorry, a Bruce Batman or do you like it much less? I think when I when I got into it, I was skeptical that I was going to enjoy it as much as I did because it's not, you know, Bruce Wayne. I think when I was a kid and, you know, there's the animated series and then they did Batman Beyond. Mm -hmm. And I remember just thinking, like, I don't want to watch that. I don't want to watch somebody who's not actually Batman. Like, it's not Batman. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's just some sort of visceral rejection to the idea of that. So I think 
it probably helped me buy this not knowing that mm -hmm. I probably would have been less excited if I had just known that that was the, um, the hookup part of the story, but actually reading it, like it was, it was kind of fun to dive deeper into, uh, into the bat universe and, and deal with these, these other characters a bit. Um, maybe that's fueled just a bit by, you know, now at this point in my life, my drive to dive deeper into all of the mythology and not just read a, a quick superficial Batman sure. story. Um, I think that's probably playing a, a big role here, but all that being said, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. Anthropological approaches to reading Batman, running to understand all the different, the natures and times and histories. And I mean, that's definitely how I approach things. Um, we get Damien and Dick, which I always still refer to them as just sort of Damien and Dick as opposed to Batman and Robin, but they get into this place to start fighting the Circus of Strange. We really meet the full Circus of Strange in this issue. We have the, like, grotesquely obese man, I, or I don't know, man or woman. I think they refer to him as a man at some point in here. And then we've got the guy with the flaming head. We have three triplets who are tied together and are able to just fight effortlessly as these three bound triplets uh who else do we have i was have wondering about them are they are they just tied together or are they um siamese triplets i guess there are maybe there how are many legs are there <laughs> well there's three there's, heads there's three heads <laughs> One, and i two, think there's three, six legs there's six legs yeah okay i don't know where their bodies would be joined if they are uh joined so i guess yeah, i'll just somewhere assume in the up, upper back maybe yeah <laughs> are these characters yeah, that have appeared elsewhere that you guys are familiar with and no no it's just no, a one were... and done and i yeah. i like that a lot because it is morrison creating a, a cabal of bad guys that seem to be more a reflection of dick grayson as batman than than bruce as batman because you know he's a circus kid this is a circus crew they talk in this circus language I'm, I'm glad you said that because when I first read the, the circus talk, I was like, I've reread it like three times, four times, like what the heck is going on? And then I was like, why would Batman know this circus talk? And then, oh, wait, this is, this is Robin. This is, he came from the circus, yada, yada, yada. Although there's uh, the moment of wooden gallopers in here, and I did not know what that was or a reference to at all until I was sitting here right before we started recording. I was like, oh, the carousel, the horses, wooden horses. I, well, I didn't realize that's what that was until you said it just now. So. Yeah. 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 I didn't, I didn't know that until you said it. <laughs> so I, I mentioned this in yesterday's episode, but I, I went to Morrison Con years and years ago, which was like a really small comic convention, but Frank Quietly was there and he brought a bunch of his pencil pages. And one of the pages that he brought was this first page we see here of Damien fighting the conjoined triplets. And when he gets thrown into the wall, the way that the, the cracks emerge from that and they say smash, which again, that Will Eisner influence of embedding sound effects into the, 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 the foreground imagery. But just that the way that the panels of this page are kind of cracking and falling apart underneath the sort of aggressive hits that the, the trio throws at Damien and that I'll never forget staring at that penciled page and just like, good God, the tiny pencil detail. Like that's one of the things I love so much with this artist is just tiny squiggles. You can see a dude with bad posture hunched over three inches from a page doing these tiny detailed lines. And uh, I just think it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, it is. I love the I love that about the paneling he did there, and and also, uh, no pun intended, the paneling in the wall. I mean, when the conjoined twin character smack tries to kick Damien, he smashes a hole in the wall, and you see the you see the um, 
plaster what do you call, or, what do you, what do you call it? not like the plaster but the the wooden slats from the the supports behind it there yeah the old, of, of an old wall like that would have that's nice the following page is another double page. So it, like, originally, the, the first even couple issues of the Morrison run, he kind of did this alternating like exposition issue, action issue, exposition issue, action issue. We're kind of getting that with this issue because a lot of this issue is centered around a fight scene, which historically I can be a little bit more like gloss over. But when it is my favorite artist, I absolutely love it. But this double page scene of Dick jumping out behind a desk and doing this somersault and then using his cape to like swipe and trip somebody up is just, it's, it's a masterclass for me in terms of displaying action and information in a really interesting way. I thought it was a nice, it was a nice touch because it did tie in with uh, the part of the story because he's using his cape a lot. There's a lot going on oh. with the cape and then he, talks about how the cape is throwing him off so like that's an it didn't awesome necessarily point. show in the action but he still brings reference to how much he struggled with it how much oh it man threw him off. i yeah. yeah i bet you're i'm sure you're right i'm sure that he put that into the scripting to make sure that that happens because as we flash back to dick hanging out with alfred and alfred consoling him and ultimately telling him some of the most important information he could ever hear but yeah dick says something to the effect of like i hate the cape alfred it's the first thing i bailed on when i went to bloodhaven which is totally true like nightwing went from having a cape as robin to being a capeless figure and now to be back in this role he kind of needs the cape and yeah i, I love that good catch will so we get this scene where we we kind of get to see the the fraying of the rope of these two, which is now Batman Dick says, good work, stay with me. And Damien says, what about the fat one? And he just bails to go chase down the fat lady. And it becomes clear that Robin, like he needed Robin there. Um, and he ultimately gets out of this sequence, but he yells like, Robin, I need you here. It's that type of thing that like Dick and Bruce, that dynamic would have never happened. There was this inherent respect, maybe a little bit more with Jason, who was the rebel Robin, but this this idea of like, I know that you want to go and fight these things and you think that you're this uber confident 10 year old, but I actually know more than you. And that, you know, that fissure is, is what causes Robin to go bail, bail out on him in the end here. But yeah, just in, also an interesting battle sequence between this tiny 10 year old and this giant behemoth of a circus performer. And that wrist snap is... Oh, my God, yeah. so good. Jeez, you see the, <laughs> see the bones displaced. Like, nearly break out of their wrist, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have to ask about these masks that they're wearing. Yeah. I don't... I don't understand them. Um, the Dolatron masks? Yeah, I just... How are they working? Um, it just looks like they have a little clear plastic bubble on their face. Oh yeah, they're gas masks. There, those things. Okay, but, but they're not. Can, there's no filters. There's no. There's no tubes right. they're connected to. And then there's this one shot. There's this shot on the same page where he's fighting with the cape. There's two shots of Batman's face, where it almost seems like the masks were kind of drawn on after the fact. But I don't. We live in a time where, right, we wear masks every day, and they need to cover your nose properly to work. Right. I don't know how these masks are covering Batman's nose. So it's, you're um, right. You're right. JLA proprietary technology. <laughs> you know what it, it reminds me of is like, you know, in the scene in Phantom Menace where they go down to the Gungan area and they just put that little thing in their mouth. 
yeah. that like makes them, you know, maybe because these glass balls go up to the nose of the cowl and then the cowl covers it. Like maybe there's some sort of oxygen injections, recycling. Uh, yeah. yeah, probably not. Robin I doesn't mean, have one. Right. I was gonna, that's what I was going to say is that Robin is just has a clear plastic or glass or whatever it might be. Uh, bubble on his face and yeah you're right we've got um a real keen insight into how masks <laughs> should function now in our batman in quarantine era of living in our homes and not going outside and these fall short of that <laughs> yeah i wish they'd included like in the old days I, I remember first time i ever became aware of anything like that batman would always have this these little like look like little canisters that he would call um rebreathers and apparently they had like a canister full of forced air or something that he would have attached to a mask or just stick in his mouth and hold it in his mouth. Those should, these should at least have that. Um, when I got this first volume and like, you know, cause I was saying this is the first time I saw Frank Quietly's art and reading through this story, I, you know, I took it for granted. I thought this is the kind of stuff that was prevalent in all comics, but in that first issue when you get the explosions that say boom or the rocket that shoots and then like, it's like an F that turns into it and the smashing of the wall with Robin in this issue. But on this next page, when Dick uses the fire extinguisher to spray out the flaming guy's head, I remember the first time reading this, just staring and coming back to it, you know, over several days, the panel of the fire extinguisher foam hitting the guy's head and seeing all of those tiny dots and tiny lines drawn and the detail that went into that. And just thinking like, who did that? How could that happen? How long did that take? What is this madness? Like it is, it's like Jeff Darrow level, like highly yeah. detailed psychedelic, just like, I'm just going to sit here for four hours and draw foam bubbles. Who was the, who was the colorist? Uh, did they, did they hate it quietly after this? Because well, so Dave having Stewart, to go back and fill in all of those little bubbles Oh, actually, no, Dave Stewart didn't do the colors in this one, which is kind of crazy because he is pretty consistently uh, Frank Quietly's colorist. But that's a great question. Alex Sinclair seems to be listed as the main colorist for this volume. Yeah, people always used to, you would read about people saying how they didn't like to uh, ink uh, like George Perez because there was just so much detail there. Like, oh, man, I'm, I'm geez. <laughs> George Perez is throwing in every random character from, you know, 40 years of continuity as yeah. just background <laughs> characters and stuff. So I think that the, like, really, really awesome part of this issue, and we continue through the battle scene a little bit, but we, we get back to the heart of this issue, which is the conversation between Dick and Alfred. Dick says, four cops killed, six seriously injured, just sort of talking about what a failure he feels like himself and complains about the cape and how fake he feels when telling Damien, like, get back here, Damien, that's an order. And Alfred's explanation just be like, what if you thought of this like less as a memorial? Because we both know Bruce would hate that, but actually thought about this more as a performance because that's what you do. And Alfred is also a stage you know, actor. We know he's a, a lover of mystery and fiction and stage performance. And, and that's what Dick did. And so that's kind of the changing moment of, of Dick as Batman is this idea of like, well, don't think of it as you pretending to be this thing. You're never going to be this thing, but be yourself and, I guess it's just one of those primal human lessons also just like quit comparing yourself to others, quit trying to be like anybody else. Once you start being yourself, that's, that's when you're able to you know really shine. But I just love that moment. And I just read dark Knight returns. And in talking about that, 
one of my criticisms of it is that I don't, it's really easy, I think, for people to not write Alfred in a really emotionally impactful way. He can just be a side character, but when he's drawn or when he's written as this like really insightful person who actually knows the heart of all these characters because he's the grand observer of Batman's life, when you, when you can actually put that into writing, I I really like that respect. I think Morrison does a great job of that historically in this run. Yeah, he does. And, and yeah, Alfred saying as a performance and then the, the up of Alfred's eyes is, uh, as he kind of wraps up that little speech there, beautifully done. I'll say, and, and again, as I always say, I, I sure hope Alfred returns somehow to life. <laughs> oh, the current that's, comics. that's true. Right now in the world that we live in, Alfred is dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing that upset me the most about in the last couple of years of Batman was like, what? No, damn it. <laughs> yeah, he died in Tom King's run. Spoilers for Tom King's run. We'll start yeah. that issue by issue podcast soon. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> um, I, I do want to like... There, the scene of Alfred when he says, think of Batman as a great role like Hamlet or Willie Loman, Willie Loman, and he's holding the the cowl. <laughs> and I guess I, I didn't really think about it until just reading it, like it's that Horatio moment of like holding the skull. Yeah. yeah. But just, I love when Batman's cowl is drawn as a mixture of cloth and a helmet like that like it has this structure that it it's not just a hood he pulls over it like it actually has volume and space and i just i love that it reminds me of when i was like four my favorite alvin and the chipmunks episode was a batman parody where like simon was batman but he had a, a helmet just like that and i was like that's so cool oh i was just gonna i was gonna ask you guys because you're much more um you know read up on on the history of batman how how present um, through Batman's history is the idea um, of Batman being a symbol and somebody else can carry the torch. Cause mm. I, you know, I like the Chris Nolan Batman movies obviously has a lot of that idea. And that's probably one of the places that I really fell in love with Batman. Um, and so reading it here, and I think this came out similar timeframes yeah, to the trilogy. Yeah. Is this something that's kind of, is this an idea that's present in a lot of other Batman works or has it just happened to show up in these couple of things around the same time frame? Roman, you, you are a historian and are well-read. What do you think? Yeah, it has occasionally. Um, I, oh boy, I don't remember who wrote it, but there was a storyline in um, uh, Legends of the Dark Knight back in the day called Shaman that... Um, touched on that and i'm sure there was other storylines in that series too but also times when uh well of course like after uh his back his back was broken and um nice. john paul valley became batman so yeah occasionally not as much not as in-depth as in here but and i'm sure there was you know stories in the 50s were kind of fit that theme even though they were more goofy and silly reasons for someone else to pretend to be batman i think that is an astute observation, though, I do think that while it may have been prevalent in some things in the past, it does feel like around 2007, 2008, that really became a thing. Even like, you know, down to the miniseries Batman Eternal um, or Batman and Robin Eternal that have come out in the last several years. That's, that definitely seems like the thesis, one of the thesis 
thesis of this run, which is Batman and Robin will never die. Like Batman is eternal. So yeah, I, I think that it's more present. It's been a, a present line in Scott Snyder's Batman run. Um, I, I do think that it like has really become more in vogue in the last like 10, 10 or 15 years. And I don't think I could point it to like one specific run, but I would say the combination of the Nolan movies and the Morrison run being the the primary Batman stories of this sort of time and that being a big thrust of them is a thing that has pushed that idea forward. Yeah. How how do you feel about that idea? Um, I I mean, I I like it. I was just kind of, you know, reading it here and seeing it in, in the movies just kind of made me just have that thought. Is this an idea that's been, you know, is this a tropey idea that's been used many times over or was this one of the, you know, first times that we saw it i guess was kind of my curiosity um yeah i think it's a sort of an idea that has come about having been with an increase of like meta narrative existing in all popular fiction and i do think it's kind of an idea comes as a byproduct of saying like okay i could tell a batman story or i could tell a story about what batman is and and i think it kind of feels related to that um i had a, a just a small insignificant thing that i thought was kind of funny that is in the back of the version that i'm reading about the cover for this issue and i just think it's a great little instance of the miscommunications that can happen between writers and artists this cover is a giant blue background that shows batman standing over a city in a dead hand but it is meant to invoke the covers of the old, old days, like those ones of like Batman standing in front of a castle with the silhouette of him behind it or that has been homaged over and over and over again. Yeah. But Morrison says in the back of this volume, it seemed an interesting twist to make the giant Batman, a normal sized man looming, looming over a model city, an architect's presentation piece made of balsa wood. In the middle of the main street, we would see a dead man's arm and hand holding a domino, flattening buildings and crushing toy cars. Somehow, I failed to convey any of that to Frank quietly, but fortunately, the finished cover was still a classic, which again went through several reprintings and has its own different background colors, which I just love that idea of like, yeah, you can't win them all. Like sometimes you're going to try and have this idea that you want to convey, and then other times you're just going to not be able to get it done at all. And those two, like Quietly and Morrison, are are, you know, very, very good buddies that are neighbors and all this stuff. So uh, I think it's cute to be able to just be like, oh, I dropped the ball and conveying what i meant to do and i think it's also just a testament to his openness about talking about his shortcomings yeah that's very cool boy you know um and flipping through this and is it and it's either either the other the colorist or quietly himself i don't know who did this but like the bat the scene in um where alfred's doing kind of that that uh york skull pose the backgrounds are so interesting because they're just like all these subtle gradations in coloring and the light source that kind of have this, um, Oh, kind of a like television camera effect as, you know, as, as the camera kind of, uh, I don't know what the right terms are refocuses kind of moves subtly in the backgrounds, you know, the, the palette shifts a little bit. Yeah. That's going on here. <laughs> and I don't think I've seen that quite done quite that way by any other artist. Yeah, you're right. It is a really interesting thing that is present in all of these issues. Like even an issue. So a really good example of it is in the scene where Robin tears his R off and throws it down and starts walking to the Robin bike, the light source that's shining down on his Robin bike. There's like these weird, it's not a color gradient. It's almost like when you have limited 
video recording and it can't quite match the colors yeah. correctly. It seems like a strangely intentional thing. Guys, yeah. I found out Frank quietly penciled it and inked these issues and then Alex Sinclair colored it. So he did his own inking, but he did not color it. Huh. But yeah, that, it's a weird, so I wonder what the intentionality is behind that because it is not a technique I've ever seen before, but I can't really pull out a metaphor as to why I think they would be doing that. There's a, there's a lot of other interesting things with the lighting that I found interesting, you know, different timings with their, with the faces, whether it's commissioner Gordon uh, in the beginning of the issue with the, the light kind of blocking out his, the shadows blocking yeah. out his face. And then that happens again later here in the same area where you're looking with, uh, with, uh, with Dick when he's standing in front of like the Batman cowl with the ears behind his face, but then his face is black. I really like that panel. I think a really, you know, strange instance of kind of bizarre coloring is page two of this issue when Dick and Damien arrive at the rooftop with commissioner Gordon. And as Dick lands, his cape has this really weird light source ripples drawn on it. It's (laughs) panel two of page two. And it looks like, it almost just looks like a shortcoming of digital coloring. Like it's a weird, it's kind of a weird yeah. effect. I'm not sure I love it there. Yeah, it's almost like it's got its own like tiny little bat footlights all along the edge of the cape somehow. So, I mean, yeah, those are the, the big beats of this issue. You know, it's really uh, Damien taken off to go find Professor Pig, which he does in this final cliffhanger and the great pep speech by Alfred to get Dick out of it. And he ultimately says like, and Alfred, don't ever let me forget the golden rule the show must go on. And I really liked, like, that's the idea of Dick even still being Batman, but also perseverance. Like, that's just a life lesson. And I love that Dick knows that Alfred is the person he needs to seek out to remember these things. Yeah, and the fact that he's so, that's so particular for him, because that's, you know, that's not the golden rule, but it is for Dick Grayson. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) I love that. And I love how, in yesterday's episode, we were talking about the, the joy in this one. I like how the first issue, the second issue ends with these cliffhanger scenes from the next episode. And also we get the introduction of a, a brand new bat vehicle that's just big and goofy and cool. <laughs> a big, dumb bat four-wheeler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the bat quad, I think he calls it. Yeah. I like the cliff. I like the cliffhanger with with the with the pig and the these creepy doll ladies. That definitely left me excited to to read the next issue. But I still, I'm still trying to process. In this final panel here, when when pig comes in, yeah, is this an ex, is, is this an explosion happening? I don't know a hundred percent either. I agree. I I was really caught up with this because Damien in this scene is been piled on by a whole bunch of dollatrons and then pig walks around the corner and some dollatron pulls his own like their own dynamite thing around them and explodes but in that bottom picture there's like a couple against a brick wall who are watching it happen i almost bet it's like wonder if it's a different scene like a different yeah, I mean, it almost kind of looks like it's supposed to be amian standing there yeah. exploding like it's just maybe it's like uh you know supposed to be some kind of fake out like pig strapped a bomb to damien and is blowing him up but it just there's not a lot of clarity behind it so it, it left me a little confused on what was I, happening yeah, yeah that was definitely on this read through for me i was like i don't know exactly what's happening in this scene like that yeah shot. yeah i don't yeah i don't either because it does i did assume it was damien because of the hair and what maybe might be a cape but 
Yeah, it, it was, I, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> yeah, and what's a little bit weird is I'm trying to maybe suss it out through the, the there's a window there that seems to have writing on it. And maybe it says something about a diner or something. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what that is. So hopefully we get some clarity on it. And the following issue, like on that final page, one thing I like about this whole Batman and Robin run is that each final page has like a next in Batman and Robin and like three unique images that don't even occur in the next issue but show some sort of a tease i liked in this one it says mommy made of nails which i think is like a reference to those experiments they did with monkeys where they would have two mother types and one was like a wireframe like mechanical monkey and then one was one that had like simulated flesh and even at that point like the ones who grew up seeking out the the like the wireframe nail monkey had like effects that weren't be able to be found in terms of their ability to be close to a mother or paternal figure after that go ahead sorry will yeah oh good good association and just as an aside we have a graphic novel at the store that's called wire mother that explains those those uh, psychological experiments and the guy who did it in the 50s (laughs) i i like the that that kind of end page of the kind of the next time um it it feels like a callback i did like the old batman tv show or they were old yeah. uh you know uh superhero shows or even just other time where i would say next time on you know or batman like, or like radio broadcasts or something and they give like, you kind of a little preview uh i know arrested development does it you yeah. know more recently as kind of a jokey next time on but i feel like that's a callback to i think uh, so older times yeah. where they would do a kind of a quick preview of what was going to happen in the next episode yeah, yeah, def- definitely older times, and specifically the Batman TV show, because that's exactly what they would do. They, they have one or both of them in a in a trap or maybe big death situation, and then they'd show like two or three scenes from the next episode, and and will they escape? Turn, tune in. Yeah, same, same bat time, same bat exactly, channel, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, Will, before we get on out of here, so you you're making your way through the Morrison run. You got. You got Andrew Carlson, which thank you, Andrew, in, uh, to get the omnibuses. So are you planning on reading all the stuff? Have you read RIP yet? Uh-uh. Okay. Um, I'm, I ended, so I'm not super far because... You, you, know, you got those like last week. I, I remember you yeah, were. And, yeah, and, you know, we've got, I'm also like partway through American Carnage and, um, you know, several other books that we're reading right now. Um, but I think I've, I've really just ended with uh, Damian Wayne um and and uh and his mom showing up and picking out bruce wayne uh, out of the party and that's where that's that's where that's my current stopping point okay awesome i'm gonna forego the email we have from andrew then because it has some spoilers for r.i.p in it and i want to respect your journey i am curious so now we we thank you so much for being on this episode reading it you go, you read these in the order that you know you were sold by a cocky comics employee um how you know, how are you feeling about it? Do you like the whole Batman thing as a Marvel person? Can you feel some differences between Marvel and DC? Are you like, does this feel like a run that you are exciting and, and about and enjoying? Does it feel like a less than equivalent to some of your favorite Marvel things? That's a good question. I mean, I think, I think a lot of my experience between Marvel and DC are, are quite different really at this point because a lot of Marvel I'm reading in, in single issue stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't, there's not tons of trades. You know, I've got maybe like four or five trades on my shelf of Marvel and, you know, 
hundreds and hundreds of, of individual issues. So my experience with Marvel is kind of a bit more popcorn-y mm-hmm. and, and jumping in. And I've done a little bit of back reading to kind of ca- trying to catch up on some, you know, different events and, and things like that. Whereas um, a lot of my DC experience right now is picking up trades and reading, you know, more complete stories. So, you know, there was Tom King's Batman, maybe on a bigger scale or reading, uh, you know, Mr. Miracle and some other things there. Um, where they're more in case stories. So this is the biggest uh, story that I'll probably have read in general. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to to kind of go through it and see, um, you know, kind of a contained story to a degree. Um, yeah, like a seven year s- opus. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to stop reading this Batman and Robin <laughs> because I'm going to come back to it. Right. And, and read, read it as, you know, my, when my volume two omnibus arrives, um, and read it then and kind of see how it fits into the puzzle. Well, we should definitely have you back on later on in this run because I would love to hear your thoughts on sort of how the the flood of water catches up to where you're at and then how your feelings about it all changes. I'm really excited. Like, it's just a, it's a fun thing to do in general. Like, the book club that we're doing right now has been uh, a whole lot of fun and a, a great way to introduce me to a bunch of things that I probably wouldn't have picked up off the shelf. Um, so I'm really excited to take this dive in. And uh, I'm excited that I did this before, really read a whole lot of it. I wasn't going to mm-hmm. read anything. And then I said, well, I'm going to read at least a couple of issues. So I feel less lost. Well, um, I, I really appreciate it. I was really excited to just have sort of the, the viewpoint of somebody who um, isn't Jeff, Justin, and Roman total unabashed Morrison addicts fanboys. So like it, I, I loved getting a couple of viewpoints from people who are maybe a little bit more objective about stuff than us. Yeah. I mean, I think my big takeaway from reading this then and reading this now was that was, it was a fun Batman story. Um, I don't know if I necessarily walked away from reading this particular volume thinking, you know, this is an amazing, you know, Batman story that sure. I have to, you know, read uh, to its conclusion and, and go backwards on it. But um, your guys' love and excitement of it is what's inspired me to to jump into it and and get some appreciation for it and 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 read a nice long Batman story while I'm at it. And Roman, I th- I think that like I feel even more sure of this idea, which is that the tone of this Batman and Robin story, like you just said, it's a fun Batman story. The tone of it almost makes so much more sense having just read the whole first third of the arc, which is a very different tone. Like this volume and this, you know, Batman and Robin 16 issue run that he does really seems like a tonal response to what he had just done, which is a very dark, serious, grim and gritty book. Now we're trying to move to a different era of Batman. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts on the tone of this book after you've sort of read a a big thing that is very different to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I am too. um, To to read all that again, because yeah, the first part was the breaking down the Batman and resurrecting him. And now, it, you know, we're starting to get into the rebuilding Batman, the idea. Well, uh, Will, I'm so grateful that you joined us today. I'm so grateful that you're taking this bizarre ass ride with us. All of the listeners of the podcast, like it, it's hugely humbling and awesome that people are uh, ex- excited to read this book along with us. So thank you all for listening. Once again, you can write an email in at batmanandquarantine at gmail.com. We look forward to it. I do have a handful here. We'll probably tackle a couple of them on our next episode. Um, but yeah, don't hesitate. If it's a correction, if it's just an excitement, Andrew sent us a handful of them. He's like, don't read all these i'm just having a blast every time i read an issue i get excited and have a thought and i write it into the email um so it's 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 a lot of fun um 
so yeah, I'm really, really grateful for everyone. Roman, as always, you know, the Robin to my Batman. So grateful that you're here. Um, yeah. And yeah, once again, thank you, Will. And we'll see, I, I'll see you on Monday for our book club when we read American Carnage. But um, right. yeah, so so thanks yeah, everybody. Yeah. On behalf, thank you, Will. Yeah, please. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Great oh, talking yeah. to you both. Oh yeah, and on behalf oh, of Will and Roman, I'm Jeff, we're Batman Quarantine, and we'll see you all next time. Bye.